It's so wonderful when you contemplate the life of Master or of any great Master. So much of what they do has a really deep meaning behind it. Sometimes they do it to show that we don't have to always think deeply. So he would play so that we wouldn't be too heavy. He would joke sometimes. I remember when I uh, was new at Mount Washington and I thought that a sage had to be always very sort of deep in his wisdom. So one time out of 29 pounds, he um, had somebody bring in a little bag and then turned out the light. And I heard him sort of crinkling this paper and a little chuckle or two. And suddenly out of the dark came bzz, 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 a gun with sparks coming out of it. And he had such fun with that. And uh, I, I was uh, rather taken aback. <clears throat> and he said, what do you think, Walter? And I said, it's fine, sir. <laughs> sort of meeting a test head on, you might say. <laughs> And Master looked at me deeply, said, Suffer little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. And he wanted with his philosophy to have us also understand that God is playful, that joy is fun, just as fun should be joy. He told a lovely story of out at 29 Palms, Jerry Torgerson had it absolutely a sort of a bee in his bonnet, you might say, about laying concrete on the roof. And uh, so he first wanted to lay this uh, chicken wire, and he knocked holes all over the roof. Well, at that time of the year, you didn't normally get storms, but we got one right then when there were holes <laughs> everywhere. And uh, they had buckets in every room all over the place. But two places, no drop fell, in the living room where Master dictated and in his bedroom. But Master said at the very end of the storm, one drop fell on his stomach. He was with a bare stomach. And one drop fell on his stomach. He said Divine Mother was just playing jokes. And one drop fell in one of the buckets that they had in the living room. That's all in those two rooms. But he was showing us how Divine Mother also has a sense of humor. And she will play with you. Let her play with you. Let God play with you. Don't always be long-faced and serious in the name of truth like this. Because truth is joy, and joy is fun, and therefore we should have a lot of fun on the spiritual path. Many of the things he did also had uh, a purpose. For instance, that Tabasco story. I wasn't there that evening. I was lecturing in the Hollywood Church, and I came later and heard about it. But Master was no sadist. What he was trying to do, quite clearly, was teach us a principle he often talked about, titiksha, endurance. We have to remember that if we were not born, if we don't die, if we, were the, if we are the Atman and not this body, then we should not allow those things which affect the body to affect our inner self. And it was with that kind of training that he was showing us that we, uh, Tabasco after all, is not an easy thing to swallow. But he wanted to say, be able to do, to take whatever comes to you and uh, not, not react negatively, not be upset, not be all, all uh, sort of reacting as if this was a great painful experience. And you'll find that the more you live that way, he talked this way quite often in the church. He told of one boy who was a, a sort of tough guy, little boy, but tough. 
And uh, he was always getting beaten up by his mother for something that he did wrong. And he, one time, they tried to get some honey from a, uh, a little hive up in the tree. And he, a bee came out and stang him. And so he, holding the tree, slid down. Well, he didn't have a shirt on. And his body was just shredded. Blood was bleeding all over the place. And everybody was staring at him in horror. And he said, what are you doing just looking at me? Come on, help me to clean up. My mother's going to beat the life out of me. <laughs> and another time, this boy fell in such a way, some weight fell on him, and his foot became twisted backwards. And again, they were all horrified. And again, he said, just shove it back. Come on, don't my mother will beat me up. <laughs> Well, I don't know what kind of a mother this boy had, but um, it's something that Master often emphasized to us, that we should be impartial, whether in joy or in sorrow, whether in pleasure or in pain. Don't let it touch you. Don't let it affect you. And to the extent that you accept pleasure, let it feed the joy inside rather than um, going up and down with the waves of pleasure and pain in the outward, outer world. Don't live in the reactive process. In fact, it's very interesting that Kriya Yoga helps us to control that reactive process. Every time you react positively to something, your energy goes up. And every time you react negatively, it goes down. Children display this much more than adults who have some measure of ability at least to dissemble. And children, you'll find them when they're excited about something, they're jumping up and down. And when they're unhappy, you can see their energies pulling their consciousness down. Well, Kriya Yoga helps to get that consciousness controlled in the spine where this reactive process begins. Any outward physical movement is only a reaction of this inner one. And that's why the breath follows the, uh, when you feel uplifted, when you feel happy, when you feel inspired, you, you inhale. When you feel sad, you sigh, you exhale heavily, uh, like that. And it's the energy going down in the spine. Once you get control of this up and downward flow in the spine, uh, which you get through Kriya Yoga, you get that measure of control where uh, you aren't affected outwardly. You can no longer feel uh, and react in a, an excited or a depressed way. And this is the way of the yogi. It doesn't mean that other state of apathy. It means that you take your joy inside. It means that you take any sorrow that you feel and turn it into a feeling that, after all, only God is permanent, only God is real. And so that downward energy, instead of being a rejection, is a withdrawal of energy. So those of you who don't have Kriya yet, I'm whetting your appetite. And those who do have, this may help to uh, give you some understanding of the depth of Kriya and how all-pervading it is. As Roy was saying, Kriya is much more than technique. Once you learn this practice, this should help to influence your entire life so that anything that happens, don't get affected by it. Take it inside. Live, live from your center outward rather than from out word inward, outside inward. Now then, there are two aspects to this centennial. 
to Master's life. And I could go on and on with stories. I've told so many stories of him over the years, and many of you have heard of them. I don't want to go into more stories now, because I want to emphasize what all of our speakers did in one way or another. Peggy, at the very end, said really what I want to say. So I can accuse you of <laughs> stealing my thunder, as, as they used <laughs> The thing is that Master's life is above all to the individual soul. He came to bring a message, and that message is to you individually. It is not to an organization. It is to you as you are in your relation with God. And this is the dilemma that we have in religion always. I want to talk about that principle in addition to telling stories about him as he was, to talk about how we can bring this teaching out into the world, because we have to look ahead. That's the important part now. Whatever we are in ourselves is our religion. It is not what organization we belong to. There are some people who belong to any church you can name who are saintly. There are other people who can belong to the same church and be devilish. The church does not make you holy. You don't become holy by joining the church. What Master did was come to the West with a message of self-realization. That is to say, how to realize ourselves. And that should be our paramount ideal, our paramount goal. Then within that context, the smaller thing is to have an organization that can help to spread these teachings to, uh, because if you had no organization, it would not be as powerful a message. But the organization is the servant of the individual. The individual is not the servant of the organization. The purpose of the organization should be always held paramount to be the individual's personal relationship with God. Master wrote some beautiful prayers. As Peggy was saying, however, Master said also, the best prayer is the one that comes from your own heart. The only truth that will ever be expressed through you is what you express more and more deeply from your inner self, not from any outward ritual, belief, or ceremonial. Now, in religion, you find that there is constantly a pull between these two sides the individual and the church or the organization. And it is, unfortunately, a rather weighted balance because an organization is powerful. An organization comprises many, many people. An organization can do all sorts of things to impose certain ideas or practices and so on, where the individual stands alone. We don't want it to be a tug-of-war between the two. It should be the same thing, that they are all working together toward a common goal. I know the people, for example, in SRF better than any of you, at least the old-timers, because I lived with them, I worked with them. And I know what wonderful souls they are. Some of them are the dearest people in this world to me personally. And yet, we have this objective difficulty 
of a lawsuit, of differences of opinion, and so on. It's a pity that these things exist. And I don't want to confuse those issues by attributing any of that to an individual or any group of individuals. It's something done in the name of something that they feel committed to doing because they think that is right. And I feel committed to the individual because I think that's more right. And so we have a difference of opinion here. But I think differences of opinion should not, and I don't think they really do, touch that heart feeling that we have toward one another. I think ultimately Master did not come to bring a new Catholic Church into the world. I think he came to bring the tools whereby individuals can become saints and find God. And the way of the organization is always to sort of try to belittle that side of it. Be not because individuals have this thought or mind bent, because the nature of the organization almost forces it upon you if you try to make the organization authoritative. Therefore, I would like to say, don't accept, as Peggy was saying, that Master said to her, don't accept outward authorities. Accept the inner authority of Guru and God and your own higher self. And if it rings true, then do it, but don't otherwise. I have never, at Ananda, said, do this because I know and I should know better than you because I was with Master and you weren't. I've been on this path 45 years. What, how long have you been here? Sort of with a big sneer, you see. <laughs> I've never talked like that. I felt that would be taking an unfair advantage because you didn't have that experience. You can't meet me on that level and it's a meaningless level. I imagine a turtle living with Master all the years of his life. Would that make him wise? Turtles live to be a hundred years. Perhaps there's one that was born when he was born. Is he wise now in this year of his centennial? Master used to say there are many mice and rats living in the canyon here on Mount Washington. They aren't advancing spiritually. They aren't finding God. It isn't living here that does it, he said. It's your own individual effort. You have to individually make love to God. And I've always tried, and I hope those who come after me will do the same. I've always tried to appeal to people according to their understanding. And if they didn't accept it according to their understanding, then I would just not force it. Because I don't think that's the way to lead people to make them blind, blind in their obedience. I think that we must be humble enough after 45, 50, 60 years to accept that a very newcomer might know something that we don't, might be able to see something clearly that we haven't quite gotten. It can happen. God can use people in so many ways to discipline us or to teach us or to bring clarity. We may, by habit, by force of habit, be accustomed to thinking in a certain way. Somebody new but with a bright consciousness can suddenly say, oh, but maybe it could mean this. And you'd never thought of that one, but you sit back and you say, well, it really could. And I've found that happen quite often. So I would like you, above everything else, to have more faith in your own inner guidance, to have more faith in your own potential as a child of God, to have more faith in the God within than in the God without, not to the point of making you arrogant, 
not to the point. I remember I was giving a lecture once in Los Angeles and uh, at a Hollywood church at the Hollywood Church on Sunday morning, and somebody complimented me on my lecture afterwards, and I said, "Well, God is the doer," and this lady just gasped in amazement. She said, oh, "Really?" <laughs> <coughs> As if to say, well, I knew it was good. I didn't know it was that good. <laughs> well, she hadn't gotten the point. I tried to explain it to her. <laughs> the fact that God is within you and the fact that I am urging you to live more by your inner guidance thus must not make you blind to the fact that you're still pretty stupid. <laughs> that you can still make mistakes. We're all stupid. We can all make mistakes. And therefore, we must, we must also be humble. We must also be willing to be corrected by our own conscience, by other people, by life, to admit the possibility of error. But it does have to jibe with our deep convictions. It does have to, it does have to jibe with our highest ability to understand. And we have to be true to that. Even if somebody much wiser than us says something different, if we're not on that level of understanding, we have to live up to the level we're able to be true to, and only then will be, we be able to grow in understanding until we reach a level where we can look back and say, wow, there was a lot I didn't understand in those days. And there will be, and there is. This is a part of the path. But Master is our guide. And if we consult that guidance inside, and if we give him, I have found that the thing that works best is if I say, if I just wipe the slate clean, just, I haven't been on this path uh, until this moment. I don't know anything. You tell me. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna says, I am your disciple. Teach me. Don't allow past attainments to warp your self-judgment because we are still just children also in, uh, before the altar of God. We have to be true to what we understand. We have to be willing to understand more deeply. We have to be willing always to open our understanding to greater and greater vistas because the only truth is one that cannot be understood in words, cannot be formulated. It's something you will find in your intuition. It's something you will find in your spiritual experiences. And the closer you come to God, the more deeply that understanding will register. If Master came to teach us anything, that's why we took this name, self-realization, not to copy, to affirm that this is our religion. It's the religion Master brought us to realize who we are. We are, as Roy was saying, we are, I am Brahman. I am that infinite. Don't be caught in this little ego that can be upset with a little Tabasco, that can be thrilled because of some little, little thing that happens that fulfills a desire. Remain even-minded. Remain centered in yourself. Live the life of Kriya Yoga in everything that you do. And then you will find that more and more this understanding comes to you that will be uh, unshakably yours. So when I say, be true to your own understanding, I don't mean opinion. Opinions don't matter at all. But try more and more deeply to live according to that intuition that you can develop through your practice of Kriya.